Very good. Well, the digital world is a wonderful thing if it all works right. And if the person operating it can remember to push all the buttons and remember what to do. So, it's very good. We'll say we are studying the fourth chapter of Philippians. And we're learning about spiritual stability. Uh, what it takes to be strong in trying times. Times of great trial. Times of persecution or harassment. Times of loss in our families. Times of confusion. and Times of stress and challenge. What do we need to do to be strong? What do we need to do to be stable and consistent in our spiritual life? Uh, that, that should be our goal. How, should, how can we have peace in the middle of trials and tests? As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our goal, our focus, should be to develop spiritual stability that's going to anchor us through our journey on this earth so that our lives demonstrate a consistent walk with our Savior. Now we're going to read again, as we've been doing each week as we've looked at this, the first nine verses of chapter 4. Then we'll select one of those verses there. have been working our way through this as a section because verses 1 through 9 kind of deal with this topic. How can I be consistent in my spiritual life? How can I be stable spiritually? So the Apostle Paul is giving him this challenge here. Philippians 4, we'll read verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, <coughs> excuse me, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Interesting there in, in, verse, uh, in verse 7, he talked about the peace of God. And in verse 9, he talks about the God of peace. Uh, we'll explore that in time to come, but great thoughts there. Remember our key phrase there in verse 1, stand fast in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Plant your feet and be anchored in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. That is spiritual stability. Be strong not in yourself, but in the Lord. Be rooted and grounded so you don't get blown away in the storms of life. You may get knocked around, you may get temporarily rattled, but your roots are in the Word of God and your relationship with Him so you don't turn into a spiritual train wreck. 
We've seen so far several steps on this path to standing firm in the Lord. And we, we were joking about this in the 10 o'clock Bible study hour, my little five minute review. We always do because I know you remember everything I say every single week. But anyway, no, we're going to just remember we've been we're working our way through this chapter. We've got several issues, uh, several steps on this pathway to spiritual consistency or spiritual stability. The first one was pursue peace in your relationships. Secondly, cultivate a spirit of joy. Thirdly, develop gracious humility. Fourth, practice the presence of God. And last week we looked at the concept of growing your gratitude. You see, it is virtually impossible to be consistent for the Lord if you have unresolved relationship issues. Now, there are some relationships that just cannot possibly be mended for a variety of reasons. But from our perspective, we need to try. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, As much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. So we need to be practicing peace in our relationships. If we are content with God, if we are content with what He's doing in our lives, that, uh, that contentment will be bigger than our circumstances. It will be bigger than our trials. We can live with a spirit of joy. We can lean on the Lord. We can be, learn to be content with Him and content in Him, to be satisfied with God and our relationship to Him. We realize what a joy it is to belong to the creator of the universe who cares about us and has an incredible future planned for us beyond this life with all of its trials. He has demonstrated his great love for us through Christ, so no matter what happens, we can rest secure in our relationship to him. And when we come to understand those things, then we are cultivating a spirit of joy. Thirdly, we talked about developing gracious humility. Don't be demanding. Don't be easily offended. Uh, don't get your hackles raised over the slightest little nothing. Remember uh, the, the phrase that captures that idea, I believe, of that word in verse 5 is sweet reasonableness. Then we talked about practicing the presence of God, reminding yourself regularly that God is near and He is always there. He is, as Psalm 46 tells us, a very present help in trouble. Last week we saw the principle of growing your gratitude. Be thankful in prayer. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Plead with God with a spirit of gratitude. Have the right attitude in prayer. Grow your gratitude. And when we do, then the peace of God that goes beyond our ability to understand will guard our minds from turning into that, what we call the proverbial spiritual train wreck. Well, this morning we're going to unpack verse 8. And we have titled our thoughts, Focus Your Thinking. Focus Your Thinking. Such a critical issue for us. Let's look at verse 8 again. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. As you walked into church this morning, someone may have said to you, Good morning, nice to see you, how are you? If you're feeling alright, you probably replied, Oh good, how are you? If you're not sure, you may say, Oh okay, I guess, I'm alive. Actually someone said that to me last Sunday when they came into church. How are you feeling? Oh, not too bad. 
Yes, a teenager. What's new? Nothing. <laughs> How was your week? Well, I've, I've heard this one too. How was your week? Well, I'm, I'm still here. But how would you respond if someone asked, how's your brain? You might jokingly say, I don't know, I haven't been working too well lately. <laughs> the, the self-check function seems to be broken. Suppose we said, how's your mind? How's your soul this week? You know, those are, those are, those are critical questions for the follower of Jesus. Of course, the brain, just the physical brain, is the control center of the physical body. And it's absolutely essential for physical life. You can't breathe or eat or walk or drive or work or do anything without a functioning brain. Now, there are times you may observe someone's driving and wonder if they have a functioning brain. Uh, but, but, but they do, and their, their driving habits actually are being directed by something much, much deeper than just brain function. You see, the Bible describes us as being three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. There are some who say there's two parts of our being, and they kind of put the soul and the spirit together. But I, I believe that the soul and the spirit are certainly connected, but that they are distinct. I can direct you to some resources if you're interested, to say, and you can study it for yourself sometime. But my conviction is that we are three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. The body is what we see, of course. It's the physical, material part of us. We interact with the world around us through our bodies, through the five senses that God gave us, seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching. And, and our body interacts with the world around us through those means. But the real me, the real me, the real you, is your soul. My body only lives because my soul is inside it. My soul is not physical. It's not something that can be seen. When my soul leaves my body, my body will stop functioning. That is physical death. My soul will exist forever in heaven or hell, but my body, of course, will eventually die because of the curse of sin. The real me is my soul, and that is immortal. Our, our soul is our personality. It is who we are. We, with our souls, we think, we reason, we consider, we remember, we wonder. But we experience emotions like happiness and love and sorrow and anger and relief and compassion. We're able to solve things and choose things and, and make decisions. And our mind and our will and our emotions are all contained in the soul. Our spirit, then, is the part of us that enables us to connect with God. That's why Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You must have both. You must have a spirit that is alive, and you must have a spirit that has the truth. Ephesians 2 says we were spiritually dead in our sins. And when we come to Christ for forgiveness, He makes us spiritually alive. So now we have the capacity, the ability to connect with God. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That only can happen if our spirit has been made alive in Christ. 
That's what Jesus was talking about in John 3 when he spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. That is the spiritual birth. God taking our dead spirit, dead in sin, and making us alive in Christ. Then we can have true fellowship with God because we are alive in Christ. Now the Bible doesn't give us specific details as to precisely how the soul and the spirit interact. Our body, our soul, and our spirit are complex. We are complex beings made in the image of God who is complex in His being. But what we express in our bodies and through our bodies is a reflection of what's going on in our souls and our spirits. Let me say that again. What we express in our bodies and through our bodies is a reflection of what's going on in our souls and our spirits. So when the Apostle Paul here in this, in this passage, when he gives us a list of quality ideals to meditate on, he's not just giving us this fun and interesting mental exercise to keep our minds sharp. He is describing to us an, an essential part of spiritual stability. I, I assure you, you absolutely cannot... You absolutely cannot be spiritually consistent unless you're focusing your thinking on the right kinds of things. It can't happen. And when Paul says at the beginning of verse 8, finally, he doesn't just mean that he's ending his thought. It means he's summing it up. He's reaching the thought that's going to wrap everything else together. He's been climbing the mountain. He's about to reach the peak. He said, pursue peace in your relationships and cultivate a spirit of joy and develop gracious humility and practice the presence of God and grow your attitude, uh, grow your gratitude rather, your gratitude attitude. And now he says, finally, my brethren, focus your thinking on things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely. He says, if you will do this, then it will become quite ordinary and natural to be peaceful and joyful and humble and gracious and thankful. Let me run that by you one more time. If you will focus your thinking on things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, as Paul lists them here, if we will do this, then it will become very ordinary and very natural for us to have peace and joy and humility and graciousness and thankfulness. Because we are guarding what we feed our minds. One of my uncles was a computer programmer in the early days of computers back in the 1960s. He told me a little phrase that they were taught as computer programmers that is still in use today, more than 50 years later. I still see it. In fact, I was reading some things last week and came across it again. It's a simple acronym, G-I-G-O means garbage in, garbage out. And they taught the computer programmers that because they said a computer can't rise above its programming. It will do whatever it's programmed to do. And if the computer programmer blows it in the coding of the computer, then it screws up the applications. Garbage in, garbage out. Our minds are not computers. They are far more complex than that. But the Bible clearly states that what we put in our minds, what we expose ourselves to, what we listen to, what we watch, what we read, what we feed on, 
it will affect what we become. Solomon said 3,000 years ago, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He also said, where your treasure is, that is what you treasure, what you, your values, your, your priorities, that's where your heart will be. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians chapter 3, he said, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You see, what we feed our minds will affect what we become spiritually. And I cannot emphasize that enough. What we feed our minds will, will affect what we become spiritually. About 40 years ago, there was a psychiatrist, medical doctor, which is what a psychiatrist is. He's a psychologist. He's also a medical doctor. His name is William Glasser. He wrote a book called Stations of the Mind. Uh, it was uh, quite, quite popular, well-received by many people, very interesting study. In 2010, they had kind of revised it, updated it, republished it. Then a few years later, Dr. Glasser passed away. But he, he had an entire section in that book on the brain and how it works. Now, he was not a Bible-believing Christian. He was coming at this from the perspective of a secular, non-biblical mindset. Uh, but, but it's very, very interesting what his research led him to conclude. He insisted in the beginning of his book that human beings are not simply what were called SR animals. S-R, the S-R means stimulus response. You see, in, in traditional humanistic psychology, it viewed man as a highly evolved animal. Highly evolved, but still an animal, so we are just, just a, a, a higher, a, a higher uh, type of SR animal. You get stimulated this way, you respond this way. This stimulus happens, you get, it, it's kind of the foundation of, of, of what was called in psychology behaviorism. Uh, there was a Russian psychologist called Ivan Pavlov. Every psychology 101 student knows about Pavlov and his dogs. Uh, if you have read anything on psychology, I'm sure you read about Pavlov and his dogs. If you haven't, I'll tell you the story very quickly. Pavlov took some dogs, one dog in, in particular. He would ring a bell, then he would give the dog some food. Next day he'd come by, he'd ring a bell, he'd give the dog some food. Next day he comes by, he rings a bell, gives the dog some food. After several days of this, he'd walk into the room, he'd ring a bell, and the dog would start to salivate. Why? Because he has now conditioned him to know that when I ring the bell, I'm going to put food down here for you. And so then it was assumed, this was over 100 years ago, Pavlov was doing this early 1900s. So then it was assumed that, that, people, that people operate that way. Because we're just highly evolved animals, so when the stimulus is there, we respond, and given the same stimulus, we have a predictable response, and as I said, that's the foundation of behaviorism, that we can be conditioned to respond in certain ways to certain things. Now, you may be able to do that with a four-year-old. You know, if you do that again, I will spank you. If they do it, you spank them. And then the next time they do it, they say, remember what happened last time? They say, oh yeah, see, we, we can be conditioned. Ah, but our brains are far more complex than that. 
And Dr. Glasser attacked that idea. He said, no. He said, I can give 15 adults the same stimulus and they will all respond differently. He said, in fact, I can give one person the same stimulus at different times in their lives and they will respond differently at different times in their lives. So his, his conclusion, very interesting coming from an unbeliever. He says this, I have discovered, this, this is astounding for a person with no Bible background, man is controlled from the inside by what he wants and what he desires. And what he wants and what he desires is determined by what has influenced his thinking. He said, we are not stimulus response animals. We have been programmed by what has influenced our thinking. And our mind then becomes the, 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 the command center which determines our conduct based on how we think, based on how we've been influenced to think. So how one thinks is the critical issue. You are going to react according to how you think. The mind has the power to shape you and to shape how you respond. And your thinking is therefore the most important aspect of your life. Dr. Glasser, a secular psychiatrist, simply figured out what Solomon said 3,000 years ago. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now we could go on for hours on this topic and I encourage you to think and kind of consider your life. What, what are you feeding on? We're all exposed to all sorts of things all of the time. But what are you voluntarily feeding on? What are you voluntarily pouring into your mind? Remember our life principle? This little phrase that I have spoken to you, I bet I've said it a hundred times. In fact, when I start it, you can probably finish it. You can't change your life until you change what? There, I heard you. Your choices. You can't change your life until you change your choices. And in the second part of our phrase, and you won't change your choices until you change what? Your thinking. There you go. You can't change your life until you change your choices, and you won't change your choices until you change your thinking. So the Apostle Paul says, finally, brethren, to sum it all up, guard what you think. John Owen, a brilliant theologian from several hundred years ago, he said this. It's a fascinating thought. If the mind cannot discover it, he says, then the will cannot choose it, and the affections cannot cling to it. If the mind can't discover it, then, I mean, if I can't figure it out in my brain, then I, then I can't choose it, and I can't love it. And then Owen said, in Scripture, the deception of the mind is the principle of all sin. Chew on that one for a while when you're driving home. The deception of the mind is the principle of all sin. And he's absolutely right. Why do we do the foolish things that we do? Because we aren't thinking straight. We aren't thinking biblically. We aren't thinking clearly. That's why we do the foolish things that we do. The, the, the deception of the mind is the principle of all sin. The devil has deceived us. 
into thinking a certain thing, and so we make our choices based on, on, on what we think. You know, the, the, the list of our struggles as followers of Jesus can get really long. Why am I angry all the time, someone might say. Why does everyone and everything irritate me? Why am I always worrying? Why, why can't I let go of this grudge? Why can't I break this addiction? Why do I keep making the same stupid choice? Why am I always struggling with fear? Why can't I just let go and accept this from God? Why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because our mind is the command center which determines our conduct based on how we think, based on how we've been influenced to think. Look back at our text here for just a moment. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let's think about this list, this list of ideals Paul commands us to focus our thinking on. Number one, he says truth. Of course, the number one truth is God's Word. Other things that may be true, not lies, not half-truths, not gossip, truth. He said, think about truth. Number one, that would be God's Word. Next, word, next adjective he uses, noble. Simply means worthy of respect or serious-minded, not, not flippant, not this who-cares attitude. If it's noble, that the, the Greek word means to be worthy of respect or to be serious-minded. The third word, just. Another synonym for to be righteous or holy. Uh, the fourth word, pure. Simply to be free from defilement. Free from sinfulness. Free from defilement. Lovely, it's an interesting Greek word. It means pleasing or refreshing to the soul. Uh, good report means worthy of recognition or, or commendable. That's quite a great list. Think about truth and things that are worthy of respect and things that are righteous and holy and free from defilement. Things that are, are, are pleasing and refreshing to the, to, to the soul. Things, things that are commendable. Paul says, focus your mind on those kinds of things. And he said, if there's any virtue or character, if there's anything praiseworthy, then he says, meditate on these things. That word, Greek word, logizomai, it's, a, it's, it's from a root word, logizomai. We get our English word logic from that means to think about, to consider, to reason. In fact, one Greek scholar said it, it's used in some, in some context as a person taking an inventory of what they have in their business, keeping track of their spreadsheets and, and their books. And, that, and I, I kind of like that. Take an inventory of your thought life. We should do that regularly. Take an inventory of your thought life. What are you feeding on? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We, we cannot expect spiritual consistency unless we desire the right things because that's what moves our behavior. And our desires are a direct reflection of the influences on our minds. So brothers and sisters, focus your thinking. Meditate on these kinds of things. And if you were to take an inventory of your life, 
the kind of music you listen to all day, every day, the kind of stuff you watch on TV every single night or several nights a week, the kind of things you read, the sort of things you listen to, the kind of stuff you talk about, the things you meditate on. Take an inventory. Logizomai. Use your, use your logic. Think about what you're actually feeding your mind. Because you will never be spiritually consistent until you desire the right things. Because that's what's going to move your behavior. Our desires are going to be a direct reflection of the influences on our minds. Focus your thinking. Meditate on these things. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we are so weak and needy. We struggle with idolatry in our minds every day, focusing on the wrong things. We have unbiblical priorities. We have unbiblical values, unbiblical motivations. Lord, you know every, every day we are bombarded with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Help us, Lord, to, to feed our minds on the things of God that will give us consistency and stability in our walk with you. Help us, we pray, in the all-powerful name of Jesus, we ask you these things. Amen.